Broncos cheerleaders, and you're listening to Sports Crunch with Decrom. Are. This is Sports Crunch with D-Crom. I'm your host, David Cromelo. Joined, as always, by my right-hand man, Hal Bent, of full press coverage. Well, NFL Conference Championship Weekend is upon us, and we are officially down to the final four teams of this 2022 NFL season. And it features arguably the two best quarterbacks in the NFL today, in Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow, and arguably the NFL's two deepest 53-man rosters in the 49ers and Eagles. With the exception of one game, the divisional round sadly failed to live up to expectations. But I think we're going to have two very close games in our hand this weekend. What say you, Hal? Oh, I think these games are going to be very close. Uh, as you outlined, you've got Two amazing matchups, young quarterbacks, stacked rosters. Uh, forget March. This is the final four I care about. <laughs> no offense to NCAA basketball, which is a very fun thing to watch, but nothing compares to the NFL. I would agree with you there. And uh, let's uh, recap what we saw last weekend in the divisional round. What was the biggest lesson you learned, Hal? Well, I think the biggest lesson learned uh, – you know, Dallas made one huge mistake, and it happened 11 months ago. What happened last week? Dallas defense, fantastic job, played well enough to win, held San Francisco under 20 points. You should be winning that game, no doubt about it. And as much as everybody's lining up to blame poor Dak Prescott, hey, I'm here to tell you, this one is all on Jerry Jones. That's the lesson I learned. His meddling, his moves in the front office sometimes are bad, sometimes are good. He had a doozy. And what did we see against San Francisco? Big money wide receiver Michael Gallup, invisible, just like he's been all season long. Amari Cooper, oh. Hey, he only caught 1,160 yards and nine touchdowns over there for Cleveland when you were in such a hurry to get rid of him and give all that money to Gallup. Gallup, three targets, zero catches, zero yards. That's the lesson learned in Dallas. Take the sure thing. Oh, absolutely. Plus, they traded away Amari Cooper for absolute peanuts. Nothing. Oh, my goodness. It, it really reared its ugly head uh, on Sunday, especially after Tony Pollard went out, because after he went out, it was essentially CeeDee Lamb and everybody else in that supporting cast for Dak Prescott. And the biggest lesson I learned, the Buffalo Bills. A lot of people are saying their window has already closed. I don't think it's closed, but... If you want to keep it open, you better make investments in your offensive line and your running game going forward. Josh Allen cannot do this by himself. He cannot be Superman every single week for you behind a mediocre at best offensive line and a below average running game. You need to support him. You need to help him when he's not on his A game. You need a running game and an offensive line that can clear a lot of holes for you in that running game and beat up on whatever defensive line they're facing. Football is all about the trenches. It's always been, and the Bills, unfortunately, aren't strong there, and they got to get strong there before it's too late. That is the biggest lesson I learned from Divisional Round Weekend. And for Go to the Week Honors, 
I am going with future Hall of Fame head coach Andy Reid of the Kansas City Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes, he suffers the ankle injury. They have to send him back to the locker room for x-rays and put in Chad Henney. And all Chad Henney does is engineer a 98-yard <laughs> touchdown drive, which proves to be the difference in the game. But no offense to Chan Henney, who did his job perfectly on that drive, but that does not happen without Andy Reid. Andy Reid is the true quarterback whisperer, if not the best quarterback whisperer of all time in terms of coaches. He just gets the best out of whatever quarterback he trots out there, whether it be uh, A.J. Feely or Coy Detmer in Philly whether it be getting career years out of Michael Vick in Philly or whether it be Chad Henney uh, or Alex Smith in Kansas City. Andy Reid just maximizes a quarterback's opportunities like no other. He just had the perfect sequence of plays lined up for that drive alone, and that drive is arguably the biggest reason why the Chiefs have a chance to go to the Super Bowl yet again. So Hall of Fame coaching job by Andy Reid last week. He's my go to the week from the divisional round. Your go to the week, Hal. Hey, that's a great choice, David. Hey, I, I got to go with Joe Cool, man. Joe Burrow, the stats were not overwhelming. You know, uh, 22 for 36, 242, couple touchdowns. Very good. But, man, considering what was going on coming into that game with offensive linemen dropping like flies, to change up how he has played quarterback and the evolution of Burrow to taking that deep shot repeatedly running around the sacks that he was taking. He looked like he was Tom Brady or Peyton Manning back there winning the battle before the ball was even snapped, knowing what to do with the ball, getting the ball out of his hands quickly into the hands of his playmakers. It was a virtuoso performance and just shows the continuing development of Joe Burrow. And, you know, if he keeps up in his game like this, holy cow. So we know he's cool under pressure, but to bring out a performance like that and step completely away from what worked in order to make what worked in that game, that's the evolution of a quarterback. And that's why he's my goat this week. Oh, very good point, Hal. And this is only the beginning of Joe Burrow. And we're going to be seeing virtuoso performances from him for a very, very, very long time. And now on to our dunce of the week honors for conference championship weekend. You go first here, Hal. Oh, you know, it, it hurts me to do this, but a dunce of the week. Oh, I've got to go with Jags head coach, Doug Peterson. Oh, you had an injured Patrick Mahomes. It was still a close game. You were, it was within a touchdown. Where was the aggressiveness? Where was all that aggressiveness on both sides of the ball that we saw against the Chargers the week before? You had a hurt opponent. You did not get aggressive and try to take advantage of that. Uh, no blitzing of Mahomes. Uh, they started off the second half. They were running the ball, throwing short passes, and that led to punt, punt. And by the time they got aggressive late in the fourth quarter on offense, the game was over already. And that's where those errors turned up. So I, I got to say, Doug Peterson, you had an injured opponent. You had to get aggressive, and you did not play to win the game. 
Uh, you bring up a good point, Hale, but I think one of the main reasons why he kept running the ball was that he didn't trust his interior offensive line to hold up against Chris Jones, which they did not at all. And that uh, was a problem for them. Not to make excuses, but just try to play devil's advocate and give you all the complete <laughs> picture here. Uh, that's uh, that's uh, probably why Doug Peterson was running more than he uh, should have in that game instead of, instead of uh, letting Trevor Lawrence do his thing. My dunks of the week, I hate to do this as well, Buffalo Bills head coach Sean McDermott. Uh, Sean McDermott, uh, no, he should not be fired, but it was just an inexcusable performance by the Buffalo Bills. They were never in that game. Don't let the final score fool you, 27-10. It was... It felt more like 41 to 10, dare I say. Uh, the Bills were just kicked in the mouth on both sides of the ball, and they showed little or no fight back. It was just very disappointing to watch that effort. Uh, Sean McDermott, you're probably safe for the next couple of years, but uh, you better learn your lessons from that game and, and get tougher players on the line of scrimmage, as I said a couple of minutes ago, or else your championship window will close faster than most expect. So that's all there is to it. Sean McDermott, my Ducks of the Week. And now on to the coaching carousel, where the biggest news of the day was that the first of five NFL head coaching vacancies was just filled as the Carolina Panthers went with former Colts head coach and the first quarterback in Carolina Panther history, Frank Reich, to be their new head coach. How would you grade this hire, Hal? Well, I think I would give this one an A. Um, you know, if it was Steve Wilkes, I'd give it an A+. Plus, but, you know, that's about <laughs> the second best uh, candidate they can get there, I think, right now. Hey, look at it. Frank Reich should never have been fired in Indy to begin with. This wasn't his fault that that team was falling apart with injuries and terrible decisions by the front office. Ballard should have been thrown the, shown the door, not Frank Reich. He was doing a great job with what he had given to him. So, yeah, big win for Carolina. They get a head coach who shouldn't have been out on the market to begin with. So, you know, straight A for that and for Reich. Great opportunity to get into a good young team with talent on both sides of the ball and some uh, high draft picks as well. So this should be a very interesting uh, to see that fit. But I love it. Give it an A. I was going to give this a B or B plus, but after listening to you, I'm going to give it an A minus. <laughs> uh, I also thought this over. Uh, I wanted Steve Wilkes to get this job. Uh, he deserved it. But the reason why they went with Frank Reich over Steve Wilkes in the end was because they need a quarterback and they need a coach to develop a quarterback. And Frank Reich turned Carson Wentz into an absolute superstar for a couple yes. of years in Philly. And after he left, uh, Carson Wentz uh, played just uh, cratered. And I don't think it was a coincidence. Frank Reich just uh, got the utmost out of Carson Wentz and Nick Foles in Philly during that magical Super Bowl season uh, in uh, 2017. He also uh, got an effective performance from a declining Phillip Rivers uh, in uh, 2020 and uh, also uh, did his absolute best with Jacoby Brissett after Andrew Luck retired. So Frank Reich has a proven track record of getting a lot out of whatever quarterback they put on the field. And uh, whether it's in the draft, or with a veteran option in free agency, I fully expect that with the Panthers. And uh, Frank Reich, this is a great hire by the Panthers. I get only give it an A minus because the job didn't go to Steve Wilson. But other than that, great job, David Tepper and Carolina. And as I uh, told you privately last week, I personally think that Sean Payton is headed back to Fox for another season. 
And uh, unless uh, uh, the Arizona Cardinals wow him by the end of the day today, uh, he probably is going back to Fox because uh, uh, all that uh, stuff that was being leaked about him wanting the Broncos job, uh, that turned out to be a big exaggeration. I think he was just <laughs> trying to uh, uh, signal to another team. Hey, 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 make, make me an offer. Make me an offer. <laughs> That's all it sounded like to me. So with Sean Payton barring uh, an offer from the Cardinals, likely headed back to Fox for another year, the hottest head coaching candidate on the market right now is arguably 49ers defensive coordinator D'Amico Ryans, who some in league circles have compared to a young Mike Tomlin, given the fact that he is A, beloved by his players, and B, uh, just totally obsessed with every small detail of the game. And that uh, compares very favorably to the kind of coach Mike Tomlin is and the tea leaves suggest his final decision will come down to two teams the Houston Texans, who he spent six seasons playing for, and in a turn that surprised some, if not many, the Denver Broncos. The Broncos <laughs> entered this process preferring a candidate with prior head coaching experience, but they were so impressed I mean, so impressed with D'Amico Ryans during the interview they did last week that he's reportedly become the favorite candidate for many, if not most, in that building. So my question is, if you're D'Amico Ryans, which of those two jobs would you take? And it's not as simple as many would think. Well, I'll tell you, if I'm D'Amico Ryans, I'm kind of scared about both of those jobs, to tell you the truth. Hey, I hate to say this, and, you know, but in the NFL coaching circles, there is a double standard for white head coaches and black head coaches. So oh, D'Amico Ryan's definitely has to be extra careful because we've seen it too many times in the past. A, a black head coach takes the wrong position, the wrong organization, just happy to have an opportunity and that's it. They're done. They're not coming back anytime soon. They're not getting interviews after they're let go there. It's over. So for D'Amico Ryans, he has to be extra careful. Houston, where it's been a revolving door at head coach, um, you know, with Cully and Lovey, that's got to be very, very scary thinking of that situation. Um, Denver, you know, again, another a, a more stable organization, but limited draft capital. Russell Wilson, uh, you know, that's a tough situation to walk into over there as well. This is not an easy choice for him. I think if I was D'Amico Ryans, I'd stay in San Francisco and think about jobs for next year. But if choice, if if having to choose between the two, I think the, you know, bizarre happenings in Houston over the last three, four years would scare me off. And, you know, I would have to go into Denver get my super offensive coordinator to come with me and uh, figure out a way to straighten out Russell Wilson and compete in that division with so many already great quarterbacks there. I'd still have to take that position in Denver. Oh, you bring up a very good point, which I think D'Amico Ryans may have to consider as well to stay one more year in San Francisco, but just a little nugget right before we went on the air, Cowboys defensive coordinator, Dan Quinn, uh, told other teams that he is indeed staying another season in Dallas mm -hmm. 
at defensive coordinator and uh, the tea leaves now suggest that D'Amico Ryans is more likely to take the Broncos job mm -hmm. than he is the Texans job. And, and here's why. Um, Dan Quinn has a long standing relationship with current Broncos GM, George Payton. Dan Quinn wanted that Broncos job, but I think Dan Quinn might've gotten tipped off that it's going to somebody else. And it's most likely D'Amico Ryan's based on what we see out of the tea leaves and the Texans, while the owners may like um, D'Amico Ryan's GM, Nick Casario has his preferred candidate at Eagles defensive coordinator, Jonathan Gannon, who I believe he went to college with. Yes. So uh, as of right now, and let me warn you, things can change on a dime. Nothing is done yet far from certain, but as of right now, all the tea leaves suggest that D'Amico Ryans will be the new head coach of the Denver Broncos. It could change. I could be wrong, but that's where we stand right now. And just to keep that in mind, folks. And last week, we mentioned Frank Reich as a possible candidate for that Chargers offensive coordinator position, but he's obviously now off the market as the new head man in Carolina. And in addition, Brandon Staley may have had his eyes elsewhere this whole time. It was reported by Tom Pelissero of NFL Network that Brandon Staley wants somebody off that Shanahan McVay tree to call the place for Justin Herbert next season. And the guy who is currently viewed as the favorite to get the Chargers offensive coordinator gig is Rams quarterbacks coach and passing game coordinator Zach Robinson. He's 36 years old, a former NFL quarterback, and one of the hottest names on the offensive coordinator market as the Ravens wanted to interview him as well. How good of a hire would Zach Robinson be? for Justin Herbert and the Chargers. Oh, I, I love Zach Robinson. Let's get a quarterback whisperer in there for Herbert, definitely. Um, yes, he's young. Yes, he's lacking in experience, but he did spend time working outside of the NFL after he finished his career uh, as a backup practice squad quarterback, but he worked as a quarterback trainer, uh, had his own company there doing that. He worked at Pro Football Focus. He's, he's well aware of the analytical side of the NFL, and that's something that's not a lot of candidates are bringing into that situation. Um, and look, he had a chance to, to sit and Learn from Sean Waldron as well, the Seattle offensive coordinator, who's also a McVeigh alum. So, yeah, he's got a lot of great experience that he can carry right over into there. You know, I love it. We're seeing the trend of these, you know, taking a chance on a younger coordinator, uh, throwing them in there and seeing if he can do something that can shake things up, bring something different. For the Chargers, you need to shake things up, do something different, and get Herbert on track. And I can't think of anything else better than shaking that McVeigh tree and pulling Zach Robinson out of there. Definitely. And let me tell you something about Zach Robinson. I happen to have met his parents at a Denver Broncos preseason game against the Rams a couple years ago. Zach Robinson is a Colorado native, and his parents were there to watch him uh, coaching that uh, preseason game. And uh, and a couple months later, I heard just how much of a rising star he is. And uh, Brandon Staley obviously knows him very well when he was on Sean McVay's staff with the Rams as defensive coordinator. So uh, Zach Robinson would be the ideal offensive coordinator for Brandon Staley and Justin Herbert alike. Completely agreed there. And as we said last week regarding the Colts coaching search, 
Jim Ursay still wants to give the full-time head coaching job to Jeff Saturday. However, as Josina Anderson reported yesterday, several who work with Jim Ursay or have Ursay's ear do not believe that Jeff Saturday deserves it. And should Jim Mersey be successfully persuaded to pass on Jeff Saturday, many believe that Rams defensive coordinator Raheem Morris is the guy to beat for the Colts head coaching job. Aside from not being Jeff Saturday, why would Raheem Morris be the right guy to lead the Colts forward? I mean, Raheem Morris, as far as I'm concerned, he checks every box at what you're looking for in a head coach. Uh, you know, he's was not a terrible head coach when he was in Tampa. Okay. He did a very good job there. He turned that team around. He had some bad luck. And again, the situation of being a minority head coach worked against him and he did not get a chance to carry on with that team. Um, he was unlike Jeff Saturday, a successful interim head coach while he was in Atlanta in 2020. Uh, so just check that box right there. But um, great defensive coach, no doubt about that. He has experience in Atlanta. He worked with the wide receivers. He worked on the offensive side as well. Valuable experience there uh, for him as well. So he's been on both sides of the ball now. Love what he did in Los Angeles with that defense coming in and adapting his defensive style, adapting his defense to the players that were already there in Los Angeles to maximize the talent. That's a sign of a great coach right there. And as a leader of men, it was Mike Tomlin who said that Raheem, you know, he's the, Raheem Morris is the best coach who's not a head coach in the NFL right now. Mm. <laughs> uh, that's a heck of an endorsement right there. So yeah, I look at him checking every box. Um, crazy not to be scooping him up oh i agree plus he's coached both sides of the football if not nearly every position he just knows the whole game inside and out that is also a main trait you're looking for in a head coach and raheem morris definitely has it and i hope cooler heads prevail in that building in indy and they hire raheem morris to be the new head coach of the colts and over the weekend Adam Schefter reported that it is a very real possibility that the Packers end up trading Aaron Rodgers this spring. And if they do, it will be to an AFC team. And Peter King added in his weekly column that should that come to pass, the New York Jets would gladly surrender two first-round picks to make it happen. And who did the New York Jets just hire as their <laughs> new offensive coordinator? Nathaniel Hackett, who was obviously Rodgers' offensive coordinator in Green Bay from 2019 to 2021. He was league MVP for two of those three seasons. And many around the league, according to a Connor Hughes, a, a New York NFL beat reporter, uh, expected Nathaniel Hackett to take a year off after the rough year he had in Denver, but he obviously decided otherwise. Do you think Nathaniel Hackett takes this Jets offensive coordinator job if the Jets aren't confident about landing Aaron Rodgers? Well, I mean, that's the first thing I thought when I saw the Jets hired Hackett. And I went, wait, what? And I said, he better have Rodgers attached to his hip if he's going over there, because that's a very strange move right there. Um Let's see, Packers trading their quarterback to the Jets. Didn't we see this before? <laughs> <laughs> That's not familiar to me here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think I've read this story before. Um, yeah, so 
it's got to be, you know, for Hackett, that's got to be part of the allure. Look, if I'm Rodgers, I'm looking at the Jets. There's some big pluses. There's some big negatives there as well. Um, going, I mean, laid back California guy, good fit in Green Bay, small town. <laughs> going to New York is always a different experience. Anybody will tell you that. But looking at that team, you know, very talented def- young defense, very talented skill position players on offense absolutely horrendous offensive line cap situation squeezing in rogers they're gonna have to do some work they might weaken some spots on defense or offense doing that so and then the other problem that you have there as well is the ownership group and you've got impulsive owners hey hackett might not last a year salad douglas hackett they could be all out at the end of the year with woody johnson he's been known to be impulsive here and the jets have settled down uh basically once they shipped him out of the country and his brother was running the team that's when they got the jets back on track so uh for rogers yeah it's uh, it's a it's a very interesting fit there for the jets the offensive line would scare me. Uh, Hackett, obviously a great fit, seamless transition for him working with him there. But that and the uncertainty in the coaching in front office because of Woody Johnson being there might be enough to scare me off um, if I'm Rodgers. Very, very good points there, Hal. With the positives uh, with the Jets, the skill position guys they got on offense, that incredible defense, great coaching staff led by Robert Sala, but also the negatives. Uh, Rogers, uh, being a laid-back California kid, would probably fry to death in that uh, New York media market, plus uh, the Jets' uh, offensive line issues as well. So lots to consider about the fit between Aaron Rodgers and the Jets. Lots good, but some bad as you said and the nfl isn't too happy about the Bengals beating the bills last week because they <laughs> badly and i mean badly wanted the neutral site afc championship between josh allen and patrick mahomes and this idea ain't going away anytime soon as the mmqb's albert breer mentioned in his column this week the nfl is quickly warming to the idea of permanently making conference championships neutral site games. And the vast majority of fans and analysts, at least on my Twitter feed, believe that this is one of the worst ideas the NFL has ever proposed. On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being very good, 10 being very bad, what are your thoughts on making both the NFC and AFC championship permanent neutral site affairs? Oh, 1. Very good. Very, very good. I love this idea. Look, fans, fans love the Super Bowl experience. If you can expand that experience to the AFC and NFC Championship Week, fantastic. I love it. Make that make the Super Bowl week stretch out another week. Perfect. Now we've got three weeks with the championship games, the week off, and then the Super Bowl as well. We're keeping. Yeah, we're bringing in media. We're in the public eye. It's a great thing for the NFL. Fans, just like they do for the Super Bowl, can make it an annual event. They can plan it out. They can uh, travel to that site. That site's going to be bringing in revenue. Uh, 
I love the idea. I think the bigger production that it is, the better. Hey, you know, the top team that's going to have the, the home field advantage already has the number one seed gets a bye. That's enough for them. They don't need anything else. That's a big enough advantage as far as I'm concerned. Oh, you warned me to the idea as well, Hal, but unfortunately I cannot be on board here. And here's why. Um, the first seed has to mean something other than getting the week off. It has to also mean getting that home field advantage that your fans helped you get by cheering you on all year long. The fans deserve their due as well. And you have to reward the fans of the number one seed at each conference by having the conference championship game in their home should they earn it in the playoffs. Plus, if you do what the NFL is trying to do, you create a weird dynamic by giving the number two seed the opportunity to have two home games and the number one seed will only have one home game. I just do not think it's a good idea right now. And the Steelers owner, Art Rooney, apparently agrees with me. He said that he is not on board this idea as well. And if eight other owners agree with him, this plan is dead. That's all I can say. We uh, healthily disagree on this. And before we preview the NFC and AFC championship games, I want to take this opportunity to remind all of you that yours truly will be headed to Mobile early Monday morning to cover my fifth senior bowl. I'll be interviewing NFL beat reporters and draft prospects all week long to kick off our annual Dash to the Draft coverage. And in that spirit, Hal, let's do a little top 10 oh, mock draft here. Right. Shall we? I'll take the even-numbered picks and you take the odd-numbered picks. And above all, trades are allowed oh. back with the first overall pick with the bears do they trade this pick they do let's trade them off i think it's the colts who are going to be moving up they want that first pick um david this is going to work out for you because now you get your bears at an even number as well so i mm -hmm. couldn't be better for you right here bears don't need a quarterback they need help everywhere. They're going to need that draft capital that they pick up from the Colts, probably a number one for next year as well to jump from four to one. So uh, my first pick, the Bears trade down to four with the Colts and the Colts get their quarterback in Bryce Young out of Alabama. Yes, he's smaller. He doesn't fit the profile, but he has all those intangibles and looks like a legitimate NFL starter. So that's my pick. Colts up, Bryce Young. And now the Houston Texans on the clock with the second overall pick. And whether their new head coach be D'Amico Ryans or whether it be Jonathan Gannon or somebody else, the Texans need to address that quarterback position and take a quarterback that's worthy of building around for the future. And uh, they may love Bryce Young, but I think they also love C.J. Stroud as well. C.J. Stroud uh, showed in that uh, college football playoff game against Georgia with that epic performance that he is willing to push the boundaries of the style of play by extending the plays when they're warranted and creating out of structure when needed. He showed that he is capable of doing that uh, despite choosing not to do it most of the time. And it just goes to show you that there is room for even further development. And a lot of people compare him to a uh, Jared Goff. Uh, I think the stars are aligned for him to be an even better quarterback than Jared Goff. And I think uh, 
Nick Casario is going to love taking a chance on C.J. Stroud. So C.J. Stroud, the number two overall pick to the Texans. You're on the clock, Arizona Cardinals, with new GM Monty Ossenfort. And for Monty Ossenfort, what a great situation. Quarterbacks go one-two. He gets his pick of the best defensive player. Um, whether you think it's Jalen Coward or whether you think it's Will Anderson, it's going to be one of these two. I don't think Arizona can go wrong either way. Uh, I look, you know, we talked about these two uh, on the pod a couple weeks ago, David, and and I said, you know, I look at Jalen Carter as a generational, the next, you know, the closest thing to Aaron Donald I've seen in a while. So I can't pass that up if I'm Monty here. So I'm grabbing defensive tackle from Georgia, Jalen Carter at number three overall. Oh, absolutely. Uh, he is a Monty Ossetfort type pick because Monty Ossetfort was in that Titans front office when they drafted Jeffrey Simmons, one of the most talented defensive tackles in the NFL today. Jalen Carter is uh, even better as a prospect than Jeffrey Simmons was. And Jeffrey Simmons was a darn good prospect, dare yeah. I say. So uh, I could definitely see Monty Ossetfort choosing Jalen Carter over Will Anderson. And speaking of Will Anderson, with the Bears on the clock with the number four pick, he is my pick for the Bears. Uh, you cannot go wrong with either Jalen Carter or Will Anderson. And even though uh, the three technique is the most important position in the Matt Eberflus defense, Matt Eberflus would gladly take Will Anderson to give the Bears the presence off the edge that they sorely missed last year after trading away Khalil Mack as they began their rebuild. So Will Anderson, easily the choice here for number four to the Bears. Right. And at number five, let's sound that trade alert. Here we go. Carolina <laughs> moving on up, jumping up from nine to five, as Dolly Parton would say. <laughs> Good we, one. Carolina needs to get that quarterback. We saw all the problems there. That's what held them back this year with talent all over the offense, talent on the defensive side. They're going to make that aggressive move. Seattle's bringing back Geno. They're happy to slide down and pick up even more draft capital and still stay inside the top 10. So Carolina, they're up there for the quarterback. It comes down to who is your number three quarterback? Do you go for Will Levis? Kentucky all looks like a quarterback, throws like a quarterback, and has some other questions. Or the dynamic wild card, Anthony Richardson out of Florida. I don't think Carolina is that risky. So I think <laughs> I think they go with the classic drop back, Will Levis out of Kentucky, and trade up and grab who they consider one of those top three quarterbacks in this draft. Oh, I could definitely see that happening. And do not sleep on the Panthers being the team that trades up all the way to number one with the Bears. That is a strong, strong possibility. And uh, Frank Reich, uh, with his history with quarterbacks, he usually prefers quarterbacks with more size. So C.J. Stroud and Will Levis fit the bill the most for the Panthers. And now with the Lions on the clock, uh, this pick coming from the Rams in the uh, Matthew Stafford trade. The Lions, uh, Jeff Okuda has not been a bust per se, but he has not performed to the level of the number three overall pick in 2020. They need more help back at corner. And last year, the Lions, with their third round pick, 
drafted a safety from the University of Illinois and Kirby Joseph, who picked off Aaron Rodgers three times. And this year, I think they go back to the University of Illinois and take a cornerback that is a Dan Campbell style of player and Devon Witherspoon. Devon Witherspoon's going to be at the Senior Bowl next week. And this guy uh, is uh, six feet tall, 185 pounds. Yet his short area of quickness skills for a corner that tall are absolutely insane. He is just so smooth and so fluid, and he uh, plays much bigger than his size all the time. That's a Dan Campbell kind of player right there. Devon Witherspoon to the Lions in this mock. The Raiders are now on the clock. Yeah. Uh, all right. Oh, I like that pick a lot, David. Uh, Raiders. Yeah, we don't know what they're going to do at quarterback, but I'm guessing that it's more likely going to be a veteran coming in to replace Carr. So they're going to be looking outside of that area. I think they've got to first address that offensive line or the defense. Both of those positions let them down this year as well. It's going to be one or the other. I'm sure that they were hoping that Cotter or Anderson would drop to them somehow, but that just isn't going to happen. No way, no how. So um, Josh McDaniels, offensive uh, coach, you know, he built that offensive line around Tom Brady like a brick wall, and that paid off big time in New England. We're going to see him do more of the same there. Uh, I think if they're going to grab somebody, I like Paris Johnson from Ohio State. He's got the size. He's got the length. He can step in and, uh, you know, boom, be able to start day one and be a dominant tackle. Um so I'm going to say, let's go to Ohio State for Paris Johnson Jr. Oh, very, very good pick. Paris Johnson Jr. just might be the uh, best uh, tackle in this class. But so could this guy, who I'm going to pick for the Falcons at number eight overall. Peter Skaronsky oh, from yeah. my own backyard at the University of Northwestern for the second time in three seasons. A Northwestern offensive lineman is going to be drafted very, very high in the first round, meaning the top 15. Rashawn Slater Jr. fell in large part due to his uh, less than ideal arm length. And we all know how great he is now. Skaronsky has even shorter arms, yet he is arguably just as good of a prospect as Rashad Slater Jr. in large part because many people around the NFL reportedly believe that he could play any of the five positions on that offensive line, whether he's the replacement for Kayla McGarry at right tackle, should Kayla McGarry leave at free agency, or you slide him in at guard, it will allow the Falcons to put their absolute best five offensive linemen on the field all the time. And that's why they go with Peter Skaronsky with the eighth overall pick. Seahawks now on the clock. Yeah, Seahawks, it's going to be on the defensive side of the ball, no doubt about it. They want to bring in somebody, um, you know, whether they go big at the tackle, Brian Bracey from Clemson, possibly, but for talent, getting to that quarterback, uh, definitely need to do that. I'm going to go with... Uh, out of Clemson, edge rusher Miles Murphy for the Seahawks here at number nine overall. Oh, I thought you were going to take an edge for the Seahawks at number nine, Hal. 
but I didn't think it was going to be Miles Murphy. I thought it was going to be this guy who I am going to see next week in Mobile, Texas Tech's Tyree Wilson, and he is the pick at 10 for the Eagles to conclude our top 10 mock draft. Tyree Wilson, six foot six, 270 pounds, approximately 36 inch pterodactyl arms. He is the Trayvon Walker of this year's draft class. He might not go number one overall, but if he posts uh, similar numbers at the combine, uh, as Trayvon Walker did, and many expect he will, he will definitely be a top 10 pick, if not a top five pick, dare I say. But in this mock, since he's available at 10, Tyree Wilson will go to the Eagles at 10. Howie Roseman is the first guy that'll tell you that you could never have enough pass rushers in this league. And if Tyree Wilson happens to be there at 10 for the Eagles on draft night, he will run, if not, dare I say, sprint to that podium with Tyree Wilson's name on that card. And now let's preview the NFC Championship. The 49ers and the Eagles, two of the deepest, if not the two deepest rosters in the National Football League, built in the trenches. Uh, the Eagles have a rising starting on quarterback, and the 49ers, it doesn't matter what quarterback they try out there because Kyle Shanahan just knows how to unearth quarterback talent better than most any other coach in the National Football League. And this season, the 49ers only lost four games in the regular season, and they lost the turnover battle in all four of them. On the other hand, the Eagles, when they lost the turnover battle, they were three and two. Which team do you trust to take care of the ball more? And do you think whoever wins the turnover battle will likely win this game? Yeah, with teams this talented, it's going to be something strange. You could say turnover, you know, one bad bounce, a pass bounces off of somebody's helmet or something up in the air. Uh, it's going to be one little thing that swings the game. Maybe it's a big special teams play, uh, you know, blocked field goal, punt return touchdown. I don't know what it's going to be, but these two teams, so deep, so strong on defense so explosive on offense it's the marquee matchup and it's going to be the small things the small steps that make the difference in this game if i had to pick one side to say who's going to hold on to the who's going to win this the the battle here yeah that's a tough one the only thing i can say is you know maybe just maybe San Francisco of Christian McCaffrey's calf is not a hundred percent and ends up sitting out part of that game. And they're reaching into, uh, you know, more Elijah Mitchell or something who hasn't played a lot this year. That could be something that could swing that turnover battle there. Uh, missed assignment blocking, you know, not catching the ball out of the backfield where McCaffrey would. That's the, that's the X factor I'm going with. Oh, th that is a very good point. But uh, you think the likely winner of this game is going to be the winner of the turnover battle? Yes. Yes. And I, I say the turnover battle will be key. And I think it'll be the Eagles who have a better chance of winning that turnover battle just because of the potential of Christian McCaffrey's calf impacting the game and impacting how long, how many snaps he's playing for San Francisco. When you look at the X factors in this game in terms of individual players, let's start with the 49ers. 
I'm going to go with the best linebacker duo in the entire National Football League. Fred Warner, who is an absolute unicorn at the position, as we saw last week on that pass breakup. He had like uh, 40 yards down the field. He had C.D. <laughs> Lamb and uh, Dre Greenlaw. Those two guys are going to have their eyes glued to Jalen Hurts all game long. They are going to choke off his running lanes and his passing lanes, and I think they are going to do a very effective job at doing so. Yeah, that is a great point. Those two, I mean, both teams have so much talent on the defensive side of the ball. Um, you know, for me, I look at that 49ers defense too, and I look at one of my favorite players, Tala Hufanga. This guy just makes plays and makes things happen. If there's, you know, if you look up X Factor in the dictionary, I'm looking at him right now in the NFL. I think he's got a huge play in him that um, can be a huge factor for that San Francisco defense. So definitely that is a huge uh, X factor for the 49ers as well. Although, you know, if you hadn't stolen them, I'd say Fred Warner is a huge X factor as well, no doubt about it. So. Yeah, you can make the argument either way. And now on to the Eagles X factors. When I look at the Eagles, uh, Two things they got to do to win this game. Get pressure on Brock Purdy early and often and stop the run. And that starts up front with Hassan Reddick rushing off the edge and Javon Hargrave plugging gaps in the middle. Hassan Reddick, uh, they're going to put him on uh, Mike McGlinchey in that right side of that 49ers offensive line all game long. They're going to keep him away from Trent Williams all the time to get him that best route to Brock Purdy possible. And uh, Javon Hargrave and uh, an aging Fletcher Cox, uh, dare I say, um, they are going to be responsible for um, keeping those linebackers clean so they uh, can slow down that 49ers running game like the Cowboys did for most of last week. Yeah, th that whole front four, it uh, doesn't matter who they're rolling out out there uh, in Philadelphia. I mean, they can bring the pressure. Um, one of those units, just like the 49ers as well up front, they just rotate bodies in. They've got so much depth there. Uh, the talent level, you know, you got Sue, you got Quinn, you got Brandon Graham. You know, yeah. it's like yeah. these are just excessive players here on this front in Philadelphia. I mean, that's just obscene. Um, X factors. I'm looking at that secondary as well. You've got James Bradbury, one of the best off-season pickups this year, no doubt about it, plugging him in at cornerback. Um, and then opposite him as well, you got big play Darius Slay. Uh, those two can be an X factor because they can hawk that ball. And if they get a, an early pick uh, against a young quarterback like Brock Purdy, that could send him in a downward spiral. Everyone that's predicting that the Brock Purdy magic ends here, that's a big reason why those ball hawks on the outside, Slay and Bradbury, could be the X factor there to take away the confidence from that San Francisco offense. Uh, that is another uh, very good X factor, Hal. And let's talk about some of the other key matchups that are going to decide the NFC championship. And for both the 49ers and the Eagles, it starts up front. The Eagles have the best offensive line in the NFL. 
and the 49ers arguably have the best front four in the NFL, and it starts with likely 2022 NFL Defensive Player of the Year, Nick Bosa, and he's going to line up on both the left and the right side because Lane Johnson isn't 100%. He'll uh, take his chance against Lane Johnson, but I still have a feeling that uh, they're going to uh, make him uh, rush uh, with Jordan Mailata opposite him for most of the game because Mailata, as talented as he is, uh, he's still um, uh, very susceptible to getting beat by elite pass rushers. Yeah, that that's a huge matchup there, no doubt about it. I mean, first thing you have to do, find Bosa on that defense and um, figure out which side he's coming from and if you're going to block him and where that help's going to roll. And, you know, San Francisco as well, right on that inside as well, those uh, beasts that they have on the defensive tackle position as well, outside, inside, they've got strength and they can really pressure that offensive line. No doubt about it. And another matchup between that Eagles offensive line and 49ers defensive line is in the middle. Future Hall of Famer Jason Kelsey against Eric Armstead and Javon Kinlaw. In both the run game and pass game, Kinlaw and Armstead are going to have to hold their own against him and uh, penetrate uh, in the pass game to get to Jalen Hurts because they are still the quickest route to the quarterback. No doubt about it. And and Kinlaw and Armstead get overlooked a lot on that defense. You know, Bosa gets the attention. Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw is getting the attention. Hafanga, you know, we talked about as well. Um, so many playmakers, uh, so many big play players, but it all starts right there with those two. And Armstead has been fantastic coming down the stretch of the season as well. He's been disruptive in the passing game. He's been, un, you know, just eating people up in the running game as well. He's clicking on all cylinders. And for the Eagles, you said it, they've got to get that strong play. Jason Kelsey, Landon Dickerson, um, it's on you guys. And if there's a weakness that if you're going to get to the Eagles and slow that running game and make them one dimensional, stop that offense, that's your best chance right there, right up the middle. Yeah, and uh, Isaac Sumalo is the other guard opposite of Landon Dickerson. So that threesome going up against uh, Eric Armstead and Javon Kinlaw could very well be the decisive uh, matchup that could determine whether the 49ers uh, come away with the upset or whether the Eagles fly to another Super Bowl appearance. And let's flip sides of the ball. Uh, the Eagles have two incredible wide receivers in A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. Yet the 49ers have one of the best slot defenders in the game in Jimmy Ward. And I could easily see Nick Sirianni uh, putting either A.J. Brown or Devontae Smith in the slot for a fair percentage of the time on Sunday. Yet uh, Jimmy Ward, whether it's against uh, Devontae Smith and his quickness or A.J. Brown and his size, uh, he's going to have to be prepared for both of them. Yeah, no doubt about it. The Eagles are going to come at you with those weapons um, and attack you from anywhere in that formation. That's what makes them so dangerous as well. And the 49ers, if there's an overlooked part of that 49ers defense, you know, we talk about it. You know, we talk about that front four and those linebackers and the safeties, but we don't talk about the cornerbacks as much as, uh, you know, maybe we should. But yeah, Jimmy Ward. Um, Traverius Ward, 
you know, these guys, uh, Lenore as well, they've got salt, you know, these guys don't get the, the big attention, but boy, they just go out week after week and do what they need to do and make those plays. But uh, as you said, that is a huge, huge test. A.J. Brown has been capable of taking over games all season long. You see why the Eagles made the move to get him. He's changed that offense, takes the pressure off of Devonta Smith, who doesn't have to be that number one, and gets him a better matchup often in the passing game as well. So those two guys going up against that secondary, fun, fun matchup to watch. That could be one of the most important matchups of the game, in my opinion. Uh, correct. We did not switch sides of the ball there. That was still the Eagles offense versus the Niners defense, but now we do Niners offense and Eagles defense, Christian McCaffrey. Uh, he might have a calf contusion, but I still think he's going to be uh, close to 100% effective, uh, on Sunday. And, uh, but the Eagles have two overlooked linebackers. They're not as good as uh, Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw to be fair, but they have been phenomenal for the Eagles this season. Kazir White and T.J. Edwards. It is just as much, if not even more, on them than it is on the big Buddhas up front and Javon Hargrave, Fletcher Cox, and Jordan Davis to slow down Christian McCaffrey or Debo Samuel and that 49ers run game. They're going to have to fill lanes quick and make the right reads as to whatever direction they go in. And Kyle Shanahan obviously loves misdirection. So Kazir White and T.J. Edwards, it is on you to stop Christian McCaffrey and that Niners rushing attack. Yeah, I mean, that Shanahan running game, the key to that is going to be penetration, defensive linemen, and especially those linebackers attacking up the field. If you start going sideways against that running attack, you are finished. So control the line of scrimmage, penetrate in there, and a lot of T.J. Edwards and especially Kazair White, their speed, their ability to get upfield and into the backfield and stop that running play before McCaffrey uh, gets going downhill. Because once he gets past them, that's you're all of a sudden that's into the secondary and that's a big mess right there. Mm -hmm. And that's not how you want to be defending that running game. So uh, great matchup there. Those two linebackers going to have to come to play on Sunday. And Brock Purdy's favorite weapon in the passing game is usually George Kittle. Uh, I think George Kittle, uh, he looks for him almost every time he goes back to throw. He's the security blanket that Brock Purdy desperately needs, being a young uh, seventh-round uh, draft pick. But the Eagles have a very good slot defender of their own in C.J. Garner-Johnson. And if there is anybody who I would be comfortable going pound for pound against George Kittle, man to man, it's C.J. Gardner-Johnson by far. And I would not be surprised to see Jonathan Gannon isolate uh, C.J. Gardner-Johnson on George Kittle some of the time. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, we talked about great pickups by the Eagles, uh, fits on that defense. No doubt about it, getting C.J. Gardner-Johnson uh, in a trade from New Orleans, he's been in instant impact player for that defense he's been a great fit no doubt about it uh when when he's there in that defense and, and healthy it is a totally 
different defense there because of that ability. There's the, so many different things that he can do, taking away the tight ends. And, you know, especially against the 49ers, you know, you're uh, you're putting pressure on those safeties, those linebackers, those slot cornerbacks, uh, because you're not just rolling out one of the best tight ends in football and George Kittle, but now you've got <laughs> Christian McCaffrey coming out of the backfield as well. So uh, Gardner Johnson's going to see a lot of those two guys. I definitely will see him sometimes matched up on Kittle because I, as you said, he's one of the few who has that athletic ability and size to be able to defend that position. And last but not least, whenever he's not lined up in the backfield, I can see the Eagles shadowing Debo Samuel with Darius Slay. Don't you? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, Slay, Debo Samuel is a physical matchup. No doubt about it. And if you're going to have a, I mean, a, a wide receiver who's built like a linebacker, but speed like a wide receiver like Debo, who's, uh, you know, unstoppable once he gets up to speed. You're going to need somebody who can bring that physicality as well. Uh, Darius Slay always had that ability to get up in that receiver's face, to stick to them on the hip as well. He's not going to be deterred. Uh, he's not going to be intimidated by Debo. Uh, I think that's a heavyweight matchup right there. And, and definitely I would keep him right on him at all times. And who do you think comes away with the win in the NFC championship? Do the 49ers go to the Super Bowl or do the Eagles go to the Super Bowl? Yeah, this is one of those, you know, I, I think we talked about it as, you know, what's that X factor? What's that one thing that's going to flip that game? Is there one matchup that's going to do it? And uh, yeah, I think there's going to be one. I think there's one. Um, how they're going to do it, I'll save for my bold prediction, but I'm going to say Eagles 24, 49ers 22. Oh, very, very interesting. The Philadelphia Eagles are a very, very talented team. Jalen Hurts is a rising star at quarterback, but the San Francisco 49ers have one important thing that most of these Eagles do not have. They've been there and done that. For the third time in four seasons, the 49ers are in the NFC Championship. The 49ers, I think their experience is going to be the biggest reason why they come away with the win on Sunday. And how do they come away with that win? Stay tuned for both <laughs> predictions as well. And now on to the AFC Championship as Joe Burrow and the Bengals travel to Arrowhead Stadium, or as the Bengals have been calling it, Burrowhead, <laughs> to take on Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. And the biggest story in this game, if not of the week, is the health of Patrick Mahomes' ankle. While the likely 2022 NFL MVP will play in this game, he is dealing with a high ankle sprain and will thus be unlikely to create some of his trademark magic outside of the pocket. However, 34 of Patrick Mahomes' league-leading 41 touchdown passes this season came from the pocket. And as the saying goes, a wounded animal is the most dangerous animal. <laughs> if you're the Bengals, should you be expecting Patrick Mahomes to be on his A-plus game on Sunday, even though not all tools in his arsenal will be available? Oh, definitely. I 
you know, I have to say Patrick Mahomes this year, I, you know, been talking about it since training camp. I was predicting, you know, uh, no Tyreek Hill. This is it. Oh, these receivers, you know, MVS, Juju, they, they, these guys are terrible. Uh, downhill, you know, are they going to finish third or fourth in the division? And the growth of Patrick Mahomes as a quarterback, you know, on full display. Yes, he can make that magic outside the pocket. Yes, he can make those improvised plays and incredible arm angles. No doubt about it. You, he can run around and do all of that stuff. Um, but you know what? Zach Wilson does that too. And what's the difference between Zach Wilson and Patrick Mahomes? Patrick Mahomes can look over, read that defense and win before the snap. And, and his growth as a quarterback, reading, understanding, reacting to those defenses to, you know, being a leader, an MVP, putting that team on his back, elevating the game of the players around him. He doesn't get enough attention for that. It gets overshadowed by all that Mahomes magic and everything. <laughs> but his actual growth as a quarterback, you know, putting him into that stratosphere, seeing the game like a Peyton Manning or a Tom Brady does that's what's been so impressive to me with Patrick Mahomes this year. So yeah, if he's in the pocket for every pass, you know, that used to be the way that you tried to defeat Patrick Mahomes. Now it's, it's a pick your poison situation. So him in the pocket isn't doing any favors for the Bengals because he's going to be just as dangerous. I couldn't agree more. And uh, now let's go on to our X factors in this game, starting with the Bengals. And while they're obviously not as good as Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw, the Bengals have a pretty dang good linebacker duo in Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratt. And those guys are probably going to have an extra big responsibility on Sunday against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Um, why? Uh, stay tuned for my X factors on the Chiefs. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, hey, X factors, when I'm looking at it here for the Bengals defense, you can call him an X factor. I don't know what his deal is, man. What Eli Apple shows up for this game is going to determine a lot for this Whoa. Cincinnati defense. You know, Absolutely. I mean, we've seen Eli Apple go out there and intimidate wide receivers, uh, you know, basically shut down a side of the field. And then we've seen him get burnt and give up four touchdowns and look like the worst cornerback in the NFL. So, uh, you know, I don't know which Eli Apple we're going to get this week. For Cincinnati, that's the big X factor I see on that defense. If you get Eli Apple playing well, the rest of that secondary falls into line and that defense goes up a level. And especially against an explosive passing attack uh, like Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, they need good Eli Apple this week. Oh, they most certainly do, especially against Patrick Mahomes. And Patrick Mahomes, in a game where he is likely to be confined to the pocket, I think the two biggest offensive weapons for the Chiefs in this game, outside of Travis Kelsey, are their two running backs, Isaiah Pacheco and Jarek McKinnon. 
the Chiefs might have to run the ball more than usual in this game because, heck, they averaged like five yards per carry the last time uh, these two teams met uh, in uh, late November, early December of this season. And Isaiah Pacheco, what a revelation oh. this guy has been. He uh, he is definitely not the biggest and biggest guy, but boy, is he so, so strong, especially for a man his size. He's got so much power. And him running behind uh, Creed Humphrey and Joe Tooney and Trey Smith, uh, I think we could see a lot of the uh, highlight reel uh, power runs by Isaiah Pacheco this week. But also, the Chiefs may have to run the ball more than usual this week, but I think you're going to see even more of Andy Reid's padded screen game as oh, usual yeah. with Jarek McKinnon, the touchdown maker, dare I say. Jarek McKinnon scoring all those touchdowns uh, the final month or so of the season. Not a coincidence whatsoever. And uh, Isaiah Pacheco, Jarek McKinnon, whether in the run or pass game, Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratt are going to have their hands full. Oh, great, great point there, David. No doubt about it that uh, Isaiah Pacheco, the impact he's had on that Kansas City running game, unbelievable. McKinnon as the receiver out of the backfield, uh, just yet another weapon that they can throw at them. No doubt about it. Um, you know, looking at that side of the ball, hey, same thing that happens every week on the, you know, uh, X Factor here. Look, how do you you're not going to stop him. So how do you slow down Travis Kelsey? Oh, you, know, you know, I mean, he is on an otherworldly level with Patrick Mahomes, you know, that type of, you know, a, a tight end with the brain of a quarterback out there, he and Mahomes can look at the defense, know exactly where they, that one three by three area, the ball needs to go before the ball snap is such a disadvantage and there's just so many games i i know i i've been the one yelling at the tv as well and i'm sure there's fans all over the country you go how can you not cover that guy you know mahomes is going to throw it to kelsey mm -hmm. but their kelsey's ability to find that spot to to separate from coverage he's almost unstoppable in that tight end position uh with patrick mahomes so cincinnati I don't know how the heck you're going to do it, but that's the <laughs> that on the offense there for, for the, you know, so many drives extended this year. How did they replace Tyreek Hill? Very simple. You know, Travis Kelsey turned into the greatest third down weapon in NFL history. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And speaking of Travis Kelsey, let's talk about some of our other key matchups. There is no way to stop Travis Kelsey. The only thing you can do is contain him or slow him down. And it's probably going to take a three-headed monster for the Bengals to do that. In their safeties, Jesse Bates and Von Bell, and their rookie uh, corner who has some safety versatility in him, Cam Taylor-Britt. I wouldn't be surprised to see Lou Anarumo bracket Travis Kelsey with uh, those three. Yeah, no surprise at all there. You've got to do something to get bodies there in front of him. Uh, you know, maybe it's a matter of getting a safety up in his face too and disrupt him off that line of scrimmage. They've got to get creative. 
that's the you know if if you're holding kelsey to six receptions for 60 yards and no touchdowns that's controlling him that's winning that's how you put yourself in a position to win that game so like you said i think that's a perfect analogy that three-headed monster um get two of them on him at a time bracket them make him uncomfortable coming off that line of scrimmage yes if you miss him on the line of scrimmage you're in trouble but <laughs> i think you have to take those chances against this offense and arguably the most important player for the chiefs in this game is chris jones okay. because last sunday that Bengals offensive line down three starters absolutely punched that bill's front four minus von miller in the mouth but this week they got to go up against one of the best quarterback disruptors in the nfl in recent years in chris jones so that interior threesome of cordell volson ted karras and max sharping find 95 at all times because uh chris jones uh if the chiefs uh, cannot get pressure with the front four against Joe Burrow. It's going to be very, very, very difficult for them to win. Yeah, I mean, I, I looked at the that Cincinnati offensive line going in and said, you know, just like everybody else, underrated them and said, no chance. You know, Bill's going to be storming that backfield. It's going to be a nightmare. Um, but yeah, they did that job. So that matchup, you know, we know it, you know, uh, rookie George Kalaftis, Frank Clark's there as well. They can bring pressure from uh, other ways, but it all starts with Chris Jones. He is that huge matchup problem. And if Cincinnati has a chance to win this game, they're going to have to keep him somehow contained. And that puts a lot of pressure on those interior offensive linemen who did the job last week against Buffalo. So it's on them to do it again this week. And, uh, Huge, huge matchup there for the Bengals. And uh, the other uh, key guy on that uh, Chiefs uh, front four is obviously Frank Clark. And uh, Frank Clark, whether it's against uh, Jackson Carmen or Hakeem Adeniji, as a suspect as the interior of that Bengals offensive line is, I think the tackles is the weakest spot of this Bengals offensive line right now. And Frank Clark is going to have to win a lot of one-on-one -on -one reps and get to Joe Burrow early and often. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, you know, Burrow did a great job of getting the ball out quickly last week. Uh, frustrated that Buffalo pass rush. He's going to have to do the same again against the Chiefs as well. Uh, because, you know, Frank Clark, no doubt about it. Big game, big plays. Um, that's in his DNA. <laughs> and if he gets going early, oh, man, that can be a long day for the Bengals. It absolutely can. And now let's uh, switch sides of the field again and go with the Chiefs offense against this Bengals defense. And uh, the weakest link of this Kansas City offensive line is its tackles. Orlando Brown Jr., he doesn't deserve a big money left tackle contract. He may be a good, if not great, run blocker, but he is absolutely atrocious when it comes to protecting Patrick Mahomes in the pocket or on the run and Andrew Wiley going up against that underrated edge rush combo of Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard and Hendrickson and Hubbard, they're probably not going to have to mush rush this week because of Mahomes uh, ankle. So if uh, those tackles are getting beat er early and often, 
Uh, Patrick Mahomes, uh, you better get rid of that ball faster than ever. Yeah, I mean, that's the strength of that Cincinnati defense is when they get that pressure off the edge, um, you know, that takes the pressure off of the Eli Apples, uh, you know, rookie Cam Taylor Britt in the secondary. And if they can take the pressure off of those guys, they don't have to cover as much down the field. Quarterbacks getting the ball out much quicker. Uh, that's going to play into their strengths where they can be more aggressive, breaking up plays, trying to make that uh, interception, make that big play. So that's what that opportunistic Cincinnati defense needs. It's all going to start on the edges with Hendrickson and Hubbard. And like you said, um, you know, if there's a spot to attack the Kansas City Chiefs offenses, it's Wiley and Brown on the edges of that offensive line. That's where you're going to find the weakness because as good as Cincinnati is on the interior, um, Tooney, Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith, <laughs> good luck. You know? <laughs> good luck. <laughs> Absolutely. And let's make our picks for this AFC championship game. I love the Cincinnati Bengals. I love Joe Burrow. I love Zach Taylor. Defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo is an absolute magician. But people are doubting Patrick Mahomes in more than any other game in his career because he has lost to Joe Burrow, Burrow's Bengals all three times they played each other, including last year's AFC Championship. I have a feeling that even a sub-100% Patrick Mahomes is going to come into this game with a giant-sized Dorito on his shoulders, and he is going to show why he is the unquestionable NFL MVP in 2022. He is and Andy Reid are going to come up with a legendary game plan, and they are going to gut out a win over the Bengals Chiefs 24, Bengals 21. Do I hear a simpatico alert? Oh, no. No simpatico alert. Uh, I don't know why I would pick against Patrick Mahomes. There's no logical reason I can do it. Um, I just cannot shake that, you know, that ankle sprain at some period of the time, you know, that can be an X factor in the game where his brain's telling him run, run, run. And his ankles telling him, Oh heck no. And something screwy happens and the ball comes out and I don't know what it's going to be, but this game, such a close matchup going to come down to one little thing. And I think that could be the difference in this AFC championship game. Um, and, and Joe Barrow, uh, I just can't bet against him right now either. I'm sorry, uh, Joe Cool. He's got it. Bengals 31, Chiefs 30, a game for the ages. It's hard to bet against the Bengals as well, but I just uh, I just can't go against Patrick Mahomes <laughs> right now. It, it was, it's a hard decision. No, it matter, is. no matter the spreads, essentially, uh, pick your poison in this exactly. game. It, exactly. It's going to be a very, very close game, but nobody should be shocked or surprised either way. And now on to our bold predictions for this week. And they both involve the NFC Championship. I will go first here. D'Amico Ryans and his 49ers defense, they sacked Jalen Hurts five times. They hold him to under 75 rushing yards. 
and late in the game, the 49ers are leading 20 to 17 with two minutes left. Jalen Hurts drives the Eagles inside the 10 for a goal-to-go situation, yet he throws an 85-yard oh. six to Fred Warner to give the 49ers a 27-17 win. That is my bold prediction for conference championship weekend. <laughs> I love it, Dave. Your bold prediction is almost my bold prediction. Except, except it's 22 to 17. <laughs> Not 20 to 17 with the 49ers. Eagles driving down the field. But Jalen Hurts, when he throws that pass, oh, no, no. That's one of those patented A.J. Brown grab the ball and muscle it away from the defender and then turn on the Jets, take off downfield for his third touchdown of the game. And it's Jalen Hurts to A.J. Brown. The big play at the end of the game, Eagles 24 to 22. That's my bold prediction. Oh, I love it. It should be a down to the wire game either way. And last but not least, it's time for our challenge flags. You go first here, Hal. Uh, my challenge flag hey, teams that haven't hired a head coach yet Arizona, Indy, Denver, Houston, be bold, be smart, do your research. Don't pass on coaches on teams that are still alive in the playoffs. Oh, my God, that's my pet peeve right now in the NFL for the last 20 years. And, hey, Eric Bieniemy, just throwing it out there. Why isn't this guy a head coach as well? Somebody take up my challenge. He's going to be a great one. I don't know why you keep leaving him there in Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes, but you're doing that 31 other teams a disservice by not hiring him as a head coach. Uh, I challenge you, look at Eric Bieniemy, but whatever you, whoever you choose, be bold and be smart. Uh, I couldn't agree more there. And my challenge flag goes to 49ers quarterback Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy, you don't have to put up otherworldly numbers to win on Sunday. Just play mistake-free football. As I said earlier, uh, the 49ers, all four of their losses this year have been games in which they lost the turnover battle, and they've won the turnover battle in all of their other games. So Brock Purdy, just do not turn the ball over, and you guys should win this game. That's all there is to it. Eddie is Hal Bet, ladies and gentlemen, a full press coverage. Follow him on Twitter at HalBet01. Hal, thank you so much again. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back in two weeks to recap the conference championships, preview Super Bowl 57, and discuss all the latest on the coaching carousel, plus other hot news and notes from around the National Football League. So stay tuned. Meanwhile, be sure to follow me on Twitter at DCROM59, as well as on Instagram and now TikTok at SportsCrunch with DCROM. And remember, that's Crunch with a K. For Hale Bent, this is David Cromwell, and as always, choose love, choose kindness, choose compassion, choose selflessness, and choose empathy, which are some of the core characteristics of the best teammates like DeMar Hamlin and teams. Until next time, cats and kittens, stay cool.